Hello there, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. Today, we have a really exciting guest and topic. We're going to be talking to Ginger Holton about nutrigenomics. Ginger is one of my good friends. She's a dietitian. She used to work at a company that specialized in nutrigenomics. And it's such an interesting topic that I just wanted to pick her brain about it because it's something I don't know all that much about. Um, Ginger is a nationally recognized media dietitian. She owns a Seattle-based integrative nutrition practice called Champagne Nutrition. She helps clients optimize their health and wellness with an integrative approach. She specializes in a bunch of really cool things. First off, plant-based diets. She also works with ketogenic diets, oncology nutrition, and she talks a lot about alcohol and health and how nutrition fits into that. Her company, Champagne Nutrition, is about her love of champagne and wine, but it's more about finding that balance with nutrition so you can include the foods you love and still live a healthy life. Ginger also serves as an adjunct clinical faculty member at the Bastyr Center for Natural Health, where she teaches master's level nutrition students. And she also authored the book, Anti-Inflammatory Diet Meal Prep in 2020. So obviously Ginger is super busy with a ton of really cool things. In this chat, we talked all about what is nutrigenomics, how someone could have their genes tested, what that actually means for them, and has does that have any impact on them as an athlete? It was a really, really interesting chat. I learned a lot. This is an up and coming field that I didn't know much about, so I was really excited to learn about this. I think you're gonna find this extremely interesting and you're gonna see more about it coming out in the years ahead. So we will jump right into that talk and let's get started. Ginger, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, this is a really fun topic. I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, so I talked about this in the, in the intro, but let's just kind of dive into it. We're going to talk about something called nutrigenomics today, which I will be the first to admit, although I am a dietitian and although nutrition is my expertise, I know little to nothing about nutrigenomics, which is why I thought it was such an interesting topic to talk to you about. Yeah, you're not alone in that. It's kind of a specialty sub chapter of, of what we do, but it's so widely available to to everyone in this country right now that it's really important to talk about. Yeah. So with that, what what is even what the heck is nutrigenomics? Yeah. Um, the definition itself is actually a little confusing. So I want to break it down. Basically, what we're talking about here is the interaction between nutrition and our genes. And that's especially in regard to trying to like, look at disease risk or, you know, prevent chronic disease. So that could be like heart disease or diabetes, um, things like that. So basically, if you want to get really into the weeds, nutrigenomics specifically is the way that nutrients um, influence our, the way that our genes are expressed. But I will tell you that there's also like the other way around, which is nutrigenetics. And that is the way that genes, um, the response of your genes uh, 
to nutrients in your diet. So it, it, it's like a two-way arrow. It goes in both directions. But just for simplicity's sake, we can just call it all nutrigenomics. That's kind of the term that people generally use. Sometimes I call it just genomics. So that's what we're talking about here. That's interesting because I was going to ask something about that later about if what you eat affects your genes or if it's the other way around. So I didn't realize that those are two completely different things. That That's really interesting. It goes in both directions. So what you eat influences your gene expression. And then what genes you have or what variants you have are, are influencing your nutrition and how, how what you eat interacts with your body. So it really is going in both directions. Um, but you know, we should talk about how different nutrigenomics is from like medical genetics, because I think a lot of people get really confused and scared and they're like, oh my gosh, like there's all this scary information, but it's important to know that nutrigenomics is very different than medical genetics. And so I really wanted to start out by saying that um, what we're talking about is not like you're going to get this disease that's actually not even within the scope of most people for that you're going to go see a specialist like a specialty clinic or a genetic counselor so that's really important to understand so that's interesting so that's kind of like for instance the BRCA gene which is the breast cancer gene that would be completely different it's not like your nutrition in any way is going to affect whether or not you have that that that's kind of what you're saying there that's exactly right. So there's some medical genes like BRCA, the BRCA, that's a really good example. And yeah, what you eat, um, of course, the foods you eat can influence ultimately your cancer risk, but there's some very specific genes like BRCA that on their own increase the likelihood of getting a disease or some genes that exist out there, you pretty much know you're going to get the disease if you have that gene. So the reason that we don't report on that in nutrigenomics is that there's no nutritional support or intervention. You really need to talk about to a specialist about your risk. And that requires just a lot more information and decision-making. Nutrigenomics is more lighthearted and fun. It's more like, how can I tweak my diet? Or like, what do I need to know to optimize my health? So it's actually very different. Yeah. So with, with that, let's kind of like back it up a little bit. Say someone is interested in nutrigenomics. What do they do? What is the process? You, you spit into something, you get a blood test. How do you even know what your nutrigenomics are? Yeah. So there is a very, very large spectrum going on here. So at a very simple level, um, a lot of times you can literally order this online or it's called direct to consumer testing. So you like, you know, you're seeing the ads on Instagram, you're seeing the ads on Facebook, right? Are they popping up for you? Yeah, yeah, I do. And yeah. I, I, but sometimes I'm like, I'm not even sure if this is nutrition based. Some of them are about your, you know, mm. cultural genetics. So there's so many things out there. It's a little confusing, you know, that is, we should actually talk about that because there is a difference. Um, so yeah, so I mean, we're getting marketed this all the time by a, a large number of companies. So at its very foundation, any genetic tests like that, whether it's like ancestry or eye color or um, a nutrigenomic, you get a kit in the mail, you usually pay, you know, anywhere from like single digit, like, you know, $7, $20, like something low, all the way up to thousands of dollars, you get a kit in the mail. And usually it's like you're swabbing your cheek or you're spitting in a tube. So they're collecting your DNA that way. You usually close it up, pop it in the mail, you'll do some sort of registration. So they know who you are. And then 
this is where it really varies. Sometimes you'll just be sent a little report or you'll be sent a dashboard and it just gives you some information. Or if it's a more comprehensive program, then you'll meet with somebody like you or I, like somebody that's trained, somebody that is a dietitian or a doctor that's going to go through it. So then, you know, sometimes you're like in a program that helps you work through and utilize that information. But at its very foundation, you basically do a cheek swab and you send your information in and then you get the results somehow. Yeah, the, they're going to go more to you than to me because I don't know this topic. But, but <laughs> I mean, I know you do it in your private practice. So, say someone gets certain results. What do the results say? And then, what do you, as a dietitian, do with these results? Yeah. So the way that I do it and the way that I believe it should be done, and actually the way that research tells us it should be done, is really in more of a holistic way. So the research very sh sh clearly shows if you just get the results on a piece of paper and you look at them, they just don't mean very much to us. Most people don't know how to interpret them or what they mean. And that doesn't create behavior change at all. So you paid it money, you got some maybe fun information you could talk about at a cocktail party, but you're not going to change anything about your life. The research is much better when people actually are working with a professional that can help interpret and prioritize and individualize the information. So I actually don't do genetics on every person. I have it as an offering for people that I really think it could help. And a lot of those people um, have health mysteries. Like I've been trying to, you know, lose weight for so long. I've tried every diet. I, I am doing all these things right. I don't know what's wrong, you know, or I have this family history of this or that, you know, high cholesterol. I don't understand why. So if you have a mystery, it's such an amazing thing to do. Or some people, um, I work with a lot of folks that are adopted and they really want to know more about their, their health history or their genes. So that can be really, really helpful. Um, but so I take that information and I meet with people well before we get the genetic information, because I need a lot of information about you. What do you eat? What do you value? What's your life like? What are your goals? Then I get the information, the genetic data, and we go through together. And I say, okay, does this speak to you? Is this true? You know, look at this weight related gene. What's your family like? Like what has your story been? So we really work through it as it very much relates to them. And then through that conversation, we develop a plan on what to do based on the information. So it's a very dynamic, uh, in-depth, long-term conversation. Can you give me an example of, you said like you have this weight-related gene. Is that what the results would show is certain things that you're predisposed to? Or are there results that talk about, for instance, certain foods and allergies? Like how, how detailed are these results getting? Can you give an example of what someone may see on their results? Yeah. Yeah. So people actually message me all the time, friends and family and clients, and they say, hey, I'm considering this genetic test. Is it worth it? And so then I have to go in and look at the genetic test and say, how many variants are they looking at? You know, and sometimes it's kind of a ripoff. It's like, they're going to show you three things that don't even really matter. Right. So on the other spectrum, um, on the other end, I, the genetic testing that I work with, um, because I'm really picky about the company that I work with, they're offering hundreds of genes and a really comprehensive report. So, you know, it is more expensive, obviously, but you get tons of useful information. So you're going to get lots of data. I'm really glad that you asked about like food sensitivities or allergies. Genetics actually can't show you that. And a lot of people, I think they believe, and they believe because they've been marketed that 
the genetics are going to tell you exactly what to eat, but that is actually not possible at this point. I don't know if it will ever be possible. Instead, I wanted to give you an example of what is possible. So there are a lot of genes that have to do with weight. A lot of my clients do come to me with weight-related questions, and it's really helpful to see the genes. And some people are like, oh my gosh, I have every obesity-related gene. My family has struggled with their weight. This has been my story. And it's very good knowledge for them. You know, I really, I really see a light bulb go on and people are like, oh, I understand now what I've been going through. So that is one example of like how helpful it can be to understand like what's going on in your genes, what might be in your control and what might be a bit out of your control. Um, there's a very well-known obesogenic gene called FTO. F is in Frank, T is in Tom O. You're going to see that on a lot of genetic reports and that um, will tell you a bit about your predisposition for weight gain and obesity. Um, with certain variants, you're much more likely to have weight gain or be at a higher weight throughout your life. That can be really good to know. And then other genetics in the report tell us a bit more about what to do about it and how to help that individual. But just because someone has this predisposition doesn't necessarily mean that they're eventually going to end up obese or something, right? Like I know within my family, I have I actually have a great uncle who's 92 years old and is in amazing shape, but he has high blood pressure and he eats well, but it's just one of those things that that's kind of, I mean, I, he's never had genetic testing to know that, but I know within my family, that is something that occurs pretty regularly. So, um, that may be something that something could tell you, like this test could tell you something like that and you know, to look out for it, but it may not necessarily happen. Is that kind of like the gist of how it works? I mean, you said it so well, that's exactly what's happening. There's a saying that a lot of people in this field, including myself say, and it's genes are not your destiny. So the kind of genes that we're looking at, they are more of a guide. Um, they tell us a bit about ourselves, but there's so many things interacting. Like one gene hardly ever is gonna be the end all be all, especially for things like weight, for things like blood pressure or diabetes. Um, all of these things require many, many hundreds or thousands of genes that are, you know, regulating them. So it's not ever just one thing. So you can have an obesogenic gene and be a completely normal or underweight. You can also um, have whatever quote unquote skinny genes or not have obesity genes and be obese. So it, it, it's so complicated and that's why you really need an expert to help you navigate this because if you just get given a report, it's so hard to make sense of it. Yeah, I can. I can only imagine. I, I, if you go online and you download one of these things, and then they give you this giant report, it's like, what do you even do with that? You need to speak to someone who kind of knows what all of this means and like what you can do moving forward. But like you said, I think it's really important that you also take into account the entire lifestyle. It's kind of the same thing with nutrition, right? Like people think certain food, this food is the miracle cure all, and it's always we're always trying to tell people yeah, that food is good for you, but that's not going to be the thing that makes or breaks your health. I, I'm assuming it's kind of the same with this as well. It really is. And that is why this is so different than some of those medical genetics. So like, you know, if you have the BRCA gene, and this obviously is a more com complicated conversation, but if you have certain, you know, cancer related genes, your risk might really be up for that. And you need to like have a discussion about what that means for you. If you have an obesity related gene, it's just one in the hundreds of genes. And it really depends on 
the environment that you live in, you know, other parts of your metabolism, your age, um, what you eat, your exercise, like there's so many factors constantly influencing. So it's quite complex. And then once someone gets this, this info about their nutrient and gene interaction, they work with you to make changes. What kind of, are you making dietary changes with them? Lifestyle changes? What can they do with that information? Um, I, I guess, I guess the bottom line is they kind of change their diet, but is there anything specific that you kind of end up doing? Yeah, there's actually a lot. Uh, the, these types of companies, if they're good, they're really focused on well-researched, actionable genes. So for example, there are some genes that tell us that you might not be very good at absorbing vitamin D, D as in dog. And so that can sometimes have me say to a person, when's the last time you got your vitamin D tested? And they'll be like, oh, like a few years ago when it was low. And I'll say, okay, you need to go back in and get it tested. And then they'll say, well, I always take vitamin D, but my levels are always low. Then once we're armed with more information, I can say, well, you need to talk to your doctor and we need to get you a higher dose because you've got this gene that doesn't allow you to absorb it very well. You know, vitamin D has so much to do with lots of aspects of our health. So this information is very, very helpful to finally understand what's going on. Um, there's also, I mean, gosh, there's so many examples. There's another one that has to do with nutrients. It's, it's well known, MTHFR, MTHFR gene. It has to do with B vitamins. It can sometimes impact fertility. It can have to do with heart disease. And so sometimes that can lead us to eating, um, recommending eating different types of foods and or supplementation. So those are some nutrient related genes, but there's weight related ones and exercise related ones and ones that tell us that somebody might need to eat less saturated fat. So there's a lot of different things we could talk about in, uh, in nutrigenomics. Actually, you just saying that reminded me that I actually know one of my genes because I have something called the trait for thalassemia, which means I have the gene for it, but I don't have thalassemia, which is a very deadly blood disorder. Um, and the reason I know that I have that is because my mom has it. So when I was a baby, they tested me for it. And it means that I'm always iron deficient, always. I will never have a normal iron level. I always have to take iron um, supplements, but it's something that I've known from a young age. And if I didn't know that, I, I know with my mom, I know that they struggled throughout her entire life to figure out why she was iron deficient until they figured out that she had this gene, which I don't, I mean, I guess the, I guess the doctor did some sort of genetic testing on her or something. Um, now it's just like a simple blood test. You can kind of figure it out, but that's, that's really interesting. When you brought up the vitamin D, it made me think of that. Cause I was thinking, yeah, there's, I mean, I know with vitamin D people absorb it differently and I'm sure there's other nutrients that kind of go in that or live in that realm as well. And it made me think of the iron thing. So that that's really interesting because people don't understand always why they're deficient sometimes if they have a well-balanced diet. It can really help clear up mysteries. That's my favorite thing about nutrigenomics. You know, it is still kind of a new science. It is not perfect. It is not going to be the answer to everything you've ever wanted to know, but it can sure help really bring some aha moments and give you some real personalized guidance. Like you said, oh, that's why this is happening. It's so grounding to get that information. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, and I, I, I speak a lot to athletes. I do a lot of sports nutrition stuff for, for people who 
everyday athletes or more competitive athletes. And with nutrigenomics, it made me think of, is there any sort of genes that you may see in a test here that affect nutrition and kind of sports or fitness performance? I know that's probably really, really getting into the weeds almost. I I feel like there's probably not much that you're getting out of it if you are an athlete, but maybe I'm wrong. Is there something that they kind of can get out of a nutrigenomics test? You know, there actually is. And every company that I've ever worked with, and that's actually three companies now, they always have some sort of sports or athletic or exercise component. And this conversation is a bit complex because what the research is is based on is generally pretty small studies. Um, There are some really big studies out there, really good ones for like weight and obesity and like cholesterol and blood sugar. The ones for for sports and athletics and exercise are a bit smaller. A lot of them are done on males instead of females. I work with a lot of women, so that can be challenging. And um, a lot of times they're based on actual athletes. And so for you, like for your population, this could be really relevant because if you are an athlete, and you're looking at genes that are done uh, studied in athletes that could be helpful. But for like my weekend warriors and folks that are just trying to increase their fitness level or just generally interested in um, athletics that aren't an actual performance athlete, it's really hard to interpret the results as much. And another thing that researchers have done, which is cool, is they study Olympic athletes. So they go to the elite folks and they say, why are you so good at what you do? And so there's a lot of actual studies that show information about them. And that really helps them understand like why these people were able to achieve what they've been able to achieve. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is cool. And that's the limitation with a lot of sports nutrition research, not just in the genetic space, uh, in terms of a lot of what we know about sports nutrition, a lot of times the research will be, there'll be 20 participants and people will think it's not really a valid study, but it's, they have to find these people who are really well-trained. And then sometimes the stuff that they're doing to them is so invasive. Like they'll do muscle biopsies while they're pedaling to exhaustion and things like that, that people don't want to be involved in these studies. So that's kind of like what we have within the sports nutrition realm are these smaller studies. And we kind of just have to extrapolate so that that's really interesting. I didn't realize that they're doing that on athletes. That's, that's really cool. It's really interesting. And, you know, whenever I'm talking to somebody, I really like to present how solid I think the research is in a given area. So when I talk about exercise with my, with my clients, I say, okay, these are smaller studies. They're probably, you know, most of them are based on men. Here's a list of the studies if you want to look at them. But like you said, when I go through these, they really speak to people. Like there are a few about VO2 max because as I'm sure you and a lot of your folks already know, um, you know, we can train and increase VO2 max a little bit for the most part, but there's some people who training can actually help them increase VO2 max much more based on a certain gene. So that would be very helpful to know if you have um, a, a beneficial variant there, or if you have a variant that makes it so that you can't really move your VO2 max very much. So that's good to know. There's also a couple injury related genes and almost every single patient that I talk to that has like this injury prone gene. And again, there's a lot of limitations there, but almost everyone is like, oh yes, that's so me. And so then we'll talk more about like warming up and cooling down and stretching. And that can be really valuable information. 
Yeah, that's awesome. That this makes me want to get a test now. <laughs> I yeah. uh, when I was in grad school, I actually did a VO2 max test in an exercise lab. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't know, that is essentially measuring the amount of oxygen you can take in while exercising. And the more oxygen you can take in, obviously, the less. Uh, or the reduced time to exhaustion, meaning you can work out harder for longer. So they put you on a treadmill or a bike and they have better ways of doing it now. This is maybe like 10 years ago. They literally put this like tube in your mouth to measure the amount of oxygen you're expelling. And then they clip your nose and then they, they hike up the treadmill to high speed until you essentially can't go anymore. It's brutal because you are kind of almost suffocating yourself in a way. And, but it's really, really interesting to see kind of if you're in as good a shape as you think you are. So if that would be really fascinating to see if you can increase your VO2 max or you have the gene for that, that's really cool. It could be really helpful, especially if you are training for something or if you are an athlete, but even if you're just a regular Joe and you know, and you're trying to be more active, or you want to run your first 5k or marathon, I really think some of this could be very helpful. Um, on the other hand, there's several uh, weight and obesity related genes that tell us that some people have a, a better response to exercise as far as weight management goes. And some people, and you, we know this just from experience, some people need a lot more exercise than others in order to manage their weight. And so if you have that information as far as like act, activity and exercise genetics, it's just really good to know. You get some answers that you've been looking for. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And speaking of kind of nutrition and exercise, inflammation is a huge topic within the sports nutrition realm. And you wrote a book called the anti-inflammatory diet meal prep cookbook. So you're well-versed in inflammation and antioxidants and anti-inflammation. And so with that, are there any genes that predispose someone to maybe experience more inflammation or less inflammation? Is, is that anything that you would ever see in a nutrigenomics test? So it is. And I feel really passionately about this. And I feel like we're like totally getting personal and like talking about our own genes, but I yeah. would love to share, you know, like I've had my genes done and I have some very pro inflammatory um, genetics. And some of these just show your propensity for inflammation. And some are talking more about the way that um, we metabolize fat in our bodies. So there's more like pro-inflammatory fats and there's more anti-inflammatory fats. Like you might think of omega threes. And, um, I always get like brutally sore from, from fitness, like more than other, I feel like more than other people. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wonder if this is my pro-inflammatory genes like that are, that are creating this, you know, to me that meant kind of changing my diet. I do more fish oil supplements. Like I'm much more aware of trying to focus on navigating this based on the information that I have. So there's actually a handful of, of inflammatory markers in the genes that you can test for. That's interesting. So then you can know that you have to eat more antioxidant rich foods, which obviously is why you wrote this book that has antioxidant or anti-inflammatory uh, diet meal prep. It has meal plans in it, right? Like six different meal plans in there. So that's, you kind of know that you need to eat more that way if you have those genes. Yeah. I mean, it can be really, really helpful 
and a lot of people do want to recover faster. They want to be in less pain for a variety of reasons. Um, if you eat an anti-inflammatory diet, that is the baseline. And if you can meal prep that, you make your life even easier. And that's actually great, especially if you were training or you know you are a really busy person. Meal prepping can obviously change everything. Yeah, for sure. So you touched on this before about uh, I I kind of want to look at it as the other way around is do your lifestyle factors and the foods you eat impact your genes? Do they change it at all? Or is whatever you were born with the genes you have, that's what you have? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. So the first time that I, I, I had to explain this to somebody, um, we were working through genetic data and the way that the company I was working for presented it it was like, okay, your gene is AA, for example, or it could be like AT or CT. There's all these different, you know, combination codes. And the person was like, okay, how do I switch it? Like, how do I get my gene to be not AA, but AT now? And I was like, oh, thank you for bringing that up. We're actually, we're not, our goal is not to change the genes because you, you cannot do that. Like the genes that you have and the the answers that you get, like that is what you're given. That is what you inherited from both your parents. That is your genetic code. So we're not trying to change that, but the way that this works is you can think about genes. Sometimes their expression as flipping a light switch on and off. Some you want to be active and you want to flip the light switch on and some you're like, nope, don't want that one to be active. So you want to switch it off. So actually what we're trying to do with gene expression, which is the way that they're showing up in our bodies, we're trying to navigate that with our, with our diet and lifestyle, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I tend to think of genes as things that we're trying to switch off when I hear about the ones, for instance, that you're more prone to obesity or you're more, more prone to high blood pressure or vitamin D deficiency, but what kind of genes would be the ones that you're trying to switch on? Mm. That's a good question. Let me think about that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you just said it and made me think of it. I'm like, what would be something that I want? I don't, I don't even know. Well, it's kind of, you know, it's a lot of this. It's, it's, like, okay, we want to switch obesity off or we want to switch inflammation off. Like it's, it seems like these things that we'd want to like downregulate, but sometimes you actually want to turn, turn more of an enzyme up. So like, for example, the vitamin D um, expression, like we want to make sure that that's maximized as much as possible. So I might say to you, let's try to increase your absorption by taking vitamin D with fat that might not change the gene expression, but it's a way to navigate that. So we are like constantly trying to like influence the way that our body's genes are expressing themselves. Um, but you know, it's almost impossible to know <laughs> ultimately like what's switching on and off and what's, what enzymes are active or not. Um, we need to take a holistic picture here and look at, you know, how all the genes are interacting and like, are we living our optimal diet? And like, are we living our best lives? Like, how are we feeling? There's so many different ways of measuring this. Yeah. As you've been talking, things I've been thinking about are kind of like the microbiome. Like we, we, we know some stuff about it. We don't know a ton of stuff about it and we don't really know. We, we think that we can feed the microbiome certain things and then it's going to be a healthy environment, but there's really no way to measure that. It's kind of like the same thing. It seems like it's the same thing with the genes here. Uh, cause you can't really change them kind of like you can't change your blood type, but you can still take them into account 
in how you live your life moving forward. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because a lot of people get very confused between genetic testing and microbiome testing, and they're actually very, very different. And there's a lot of limitations in the research. I mean, as far as nutrigenomic genetic testing, they only bapped the human genome in 2003. This is super, super new. And the microbiome is actually kind of in the same, in the same realm. Like we are really just starting to explore what this means. So if you see a test for either genetics or microbiome and they're completely different animals and the test says, I'm gonna tell you exactly what to eat based on your genes or based on your microbiome, it's not, it's not possible. So I think there is a lot of overpromising in marketing right now. And that is another reason that you really need to be working with an expert who can help um, tell you what is possible and what's not so that you don't get taken advantage of. Like we're just not there yet for a lot of this. Absolutely. I think that that's really kind of what I'm taking away from this is that you want to work with someone who knows what they're doing because like I said in the beginning, I'm a dietitian, but I don't really even know this field. You need to work with someone who understands the field. And with that, I kind of have my last question, which is, do you think this is going to become more commonplace in the future to, to have your uh, nutrigenomics tested? Like you said, there's a million tests out there. There's tons of marketing. It seems like it's growing. Do you think people are going to start doing this more regularly in the future? Uh, I do. And the one reason for that is because the research is pouring out about this. So there's definitely a lot that the scientific community is learning. And it's also becoming a lot more affordable to do this testing. So it's becoming a lot more accessible for many, many people. And there's a really big push right now. Um, it started, you know, in the last five to 10 years for personalized medicine. Most people that I work with, like they don't want just the general recommendations. They really want a personalized, individualized approach. Like what should I do? You know, what's right for me and my lifestyle? And that's what genomics is a promise of, right? So it is actually unethical for a healthcare provider to be doing this work without specialized training. So, you know, I really appreciate that you're like, hey, I'm a, I'm a nutritionist, I'm a dietitian, but I actually don't do this work. And in order to do the work, you need to have a lot of training and really be familiar with this, um, with genetics and genomics um, so that you can interpret it safely. So really, I think more doctors and dietitians are going to be rolling this out and hopefully there'll be more training available. So more folks can step into that space because you really don't want to just go to some random person or someone who's just, you know, an unqualified health coach, doesn't have a degree in nutrition. Um, it's just not safe because this is really pretty serious health related information. Yeah, I agree. And I think also with dietitians who are trained in this or other healthcare professionals who are trained in this, they understand the science because it's very science-based. They understand the science to break it down to you so that you're going to get it if you don't have a science background. And that, that's kind of what I look for in this type of thing is like, I want someone like you to tell me essentially what this means without me having to understand or have a degree in genetics. So I think that's, right. that's really the benefit of working with a professional. It really is. I mean, it's very confusing. Um, I do this every single day. And when I'm reading through the research, I'm like going slow, you know, I'm going line by line and I'm really trying to absorb it because it's extremely dense and very, very complex. And 
a lot of things aren't always what they seem <laughs> when you're when you first dive in. So you really need to have a background in it, and um, you need an expert to to interpret it. You're so right. Well, Ginger, this was awesome. Super interesting for me. I almost want to research more and take some tests now. <laughs> uh, where can people find more about you, and if they want to work with you or follow you? Yeah, so I am at Champagne Nutrition. That's where I am on all my handles and my website and on my website and on all my social media, there's little contact links. And I also, I'm a cancer specialist. That's one reason I'm so passionate about this work. And I also run Seattle Cancer Nutritionist. So that's another way to get a hold of me. Um, but yeah, um, people can reach out. And what I do is I have an initial conversation to just explain a bit more about whether genomics might, might be right for a person or not. Like I said, I don't do it with everyone. It's not right for everyone, but it is very helpful to many. It sounds like it. And I just realized that I've probably been saying it wrong the whole time. I've been saying nutrigenomics and you're saying genomics. So I don't know if those two things are different, but this is how uh, we know that you're the expert. I use them a little bit interchangeably. Um, because, you know, not, not all of them are nutrition related, like some are lifestyle related. So I like to kind of use the umbrella genomics. Sometimes I see nutrigenomics. It's potato, potato. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on and uh, I appreciate your info. Yeah, it was really fun talking to you. I really hope this helps some, some people know more about genetics and feel empowered on how to use it. Absolutely. Thanks, Ginger. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleats or visit my website at greenleats.com.